Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for opening our hearts. Thank you for opening our minds. Thank you for the salvation that you offer us. And thank you for this morning, Father, that we can celebrate you, that we can worship you. And Father, we pray that we might honor you as we go through your word this morning. We pray that you would give each of us an extra blessing of your spirit as you give us not just understanding of your word, but how you would have us use it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You can have a seat. Wow, that's really bright now, isn't it? Children are dismissed to Children's Church. And if you're staying and you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and Rick will provide you with one. If you take a Bible from Rick and you own one at home, just take it and put it in the back of the sanctuary when you're done. If you take one from Rick and you don't own one at home, keep it. Use it. This morning, we're going to finish with 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll begin at verse 25. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to there, and, uh, and we'll go through it together. I'm thankful that, um, that Calvary Chapel was revealed to me in my life years ago. It was actually when I was in Iraq in 2003 before I was a believer, a guy named Skip Heisick had written a letter to soldiers, sailors, and Marines about the Lord Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him and coming to know him and about church, which is an important part of life, right? Important part of a Christian's life. And he explained in this letter how even if you had not yet come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ, that if you came to Calvary Chapel, his church, or I thought he was speaking of his church, that you would get this verse-by-verse teaching going through the Bible and learn the truth for yourself as whomever stood before you was teaching it. And I was blessed by that. I remember writing a letter home Um, to my wife saying, hey, I could go to a church like that. And my wife had been going to church for, she had become a Christian um, after being married to me for a year. I drove her right to Jesus. (laughs) And she wrote a letter back. Now you got to remember that it takes months to get letters back and forth. So she would mail it back to me and it go to some place in Iraq, and they'd put it on a truck, and on another truck, and another truck. And literally, some guy one day would come up and go, hey, you guys got mail, and he'd dump it out of the back of the truck onto the ground, and a bunch of sailors and Marines would go tearing through it. But I picked up this letter from my wife, and she says, I'm, I'm blessed that you're interested in Jesus. I wasn't a Christian yet, but I, I wanted to know God. I'm blessed that you want to know Jesus, and I'm blessed that you found this interest in Calvary Chapel. I've been inviting you to a Calvary Chapel every Sunday and Wednesday for the past 15 years. 
So I'm blessed that I found it. You get the expository teaching. We go verse by verse. Pastor David started several weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Easy stuff, lighthearted stuff. No difficulties there at all, right? He's been talking about sexual sin for weeks. Believe it or not, topical pastors oftentimes pass right over that stuff. It's not going to make the congregation feel good when they go home. Somebody might be struggling with that. I don't want to bring that up, and they pass right by it. Calvary Chapel, there's no avoiding it. Is there, Pastor David? You hit it, you hit it hard, and you keep moving. You find people struggling with things in their life, and you minister to them through the Lord Jesus Christ in his word. And it starts stirring people. For the past several weeks, we've been ministering and talking with people who are struggling in these areas of their lives. And we're thankful. We're thankful that people have the courage to stand up, raise their hand, give a phone call and say, can you pray for me? Can you help me? Can you encourage me? Can you counsel me? That's what church is all about. Took me a long, long time to learn that. I'm thankful I have. The entire counsel of the word of God. Sometimes it's uplifting, and I walk out of here skipping and tra-la-la-la-la. And other times I leave here dragging my fanny with a heavy heart, knowing that Pastor David just punched me in the heart. But it wasn't Pastor David, was it? It It's the Lord Jesus Christ, through his word, saying, Jim, clean that up. Stop it. I want all of you, even that little piece that you got left. There's not a Calvary Chapel pastor out there that doesn't have a little bit left and isn't seeking to clean that up in his life as well. It's a part of sanctification. It's a part of cleaning our life up. It's the truth. It's the only truth. Jesus Christ says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To have life with him, we need to know the truth. We need to go through the truth. We need to understand it. We need to accept it. We need to have a relationship with it. Amen? And that's what we're doing here. I'm excited. It's important to have knowledge of Scripture. If you have no knowledge of Scripture, how could you have knowledge of the Lord Jesus? Don't take my word for it. Don't take Pastor David's word for it. Don't take anybody you hear on the radio's word for it. If you don't own one, buy one. We'll give you one. Brick just went around with it. Read it. Learn to understand it. This week I had an interesting conversation with somebody at work just about this, or this came to my mind, about knowledge of God. And knowledge of the word, here in the United States, everybody has opportunities. How many, how many Bibles do I own in my house? Just me alone. There are tons of them. I even have an NIV. <laughs> um, my wife does. <laughs> everybody has access to it. Everyone does. There's no reason not to have it or not to be able to go through it. But I had this conversation with somebody today, uh, today, this week, and it was interesting. I was in court. <clears throat> this person came up to me. She knows who I am. She knows that I'm a believer. And she said, hey, I have a question for you. I said, okay. She goes, 
I believe in God. And as soon as she said that, I went, okay. She goes, but I'm not very religious. I went, well, neither am I. I'm faithful, not religious. She goes, oh, good. I said, what's your question? She said, um, when do you think the Bible will morph and adapt to today's society? <laughs> I thought, have you ever read the Bible? She goes, well, I've read some of it. I said, well, read some more of it. It will never adapt to our society. That's not what God's all about. God calls on us to come into a right relationship with him, to adapt, to understand, to conform our lives into a right relationship, to understand why he wants us to conform to these things. Because the way of the world is wrong. I, I, I lived that for almost 40 years of my life. It did me no good until I started into a relationship with Jesus Christ and reading his word. And believe me, I had read most of his word before it hit me that I wasn't in a right relationship with him, that I wasn't confessing him as Lord and Savior, that I wasn't following him. It will never do that. But that's exactly what the world wants. And a lot of pastors, a lot of teachers allow it to be skipping right over difficult sections in Scripture. People who live in the world have always lived in the world. They've done it for centuries. In Malachi 2, it says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, How have we wearied him? And that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. That's what people say. People of the world say, you know what, I know I'm not perfect. I know I do my own thing, but the Lord loves me anyway. I'm right with God, just the way I am. It's not true. Nowhere in Scripture will you find that as an accurate statement. And the other thing continues to say in Malachi, people of the world still say today. If they say that... I don't need to be a Christian. I don't need to be in the world. God's okay with me. What's usually the next thing they say when trouble occurs? Where was God? Where was God when I need him? And in Malachi, it says, where is the God of justice when I didn't get my way? God is always just, no matter what the circumstance of the world is, no matter what the circumstance of my life is. I am not just. If you have a God who's conformed to your world, you've created a God. If you have a God who's conformed to your world, you have created a God. If you are conforming to God's word, you have a creator God. And that's who we are, and that's who we teach. Amen? We conform to his world. So let's uh, read Genesis. Genesis. <laughs> let's go there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 25. 
Are you there? I've given you enough time, really. Now, concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. I think, then, that this is good in view of the present distress, that, is good, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Interesting words from Paul, isn't it? A lot of people misinterpret this. I've actually done some, some internet study, and I never suggest doing internet study when you're studying Scripture. It's a bad place to go. Where do we study Scripture? Oh, in Scripture. Okay. That's good. If you go to the internet and you study this passage, what, what do they say about it? It's contradictory. Not only is it contradictory in Scripture, it's contradictory to this dude, Paul. Who are Ephesians? Who here is married? Who here knows about Ephesians 5? You've never met me if you don't know about Ephesians 5. We've never had a conversation. Paul wrote Ephesians 5. What's Ephesians 5 all about? It's about marriage. It's about love and respect. Right, Greg? We went through a couple study in Bible about Ephesians, about love and respect. How a woman needs to love her wife. How a man... Uh, how, <laughs> I didn't learn. I got to do it again. How a man... Man needs to love his wife and how a woman needs to respect her husband. It's written by Paul. It's not contradictory. If we find something that we think might be contradictory in Scripture, what do we do? Go study Scripture some more. If you find something that you think might be contradictory, the problem is you, not it. So you just need to study a little bit further and come to a right understanding. Ask somebody who studies Scripture to help you with it. If you're stuck, I get stuck all the time. In verse 25, it says, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. How many people here consider themselves to be Bereans? Good. How many people give their opinion in Scripture? One. Paul is the only one that does it. He's the only one that God allowed to do it in this form or fashion. Be careful how you understand that, though. His opinion, my opinion. How many people want to hear about my opinion today? Thank God nobody raised their hands. If I start giving my opinion, leave. You'll be in trouble. When you're studying Scripture to get a right understanding of what God's trying to say into your life, you need to understand a few things. The first is the subject that's being talked about. Here, in this passage, it's virgins. It's pretty clear. Now concerning virgins equates the, the subject matter. It's equally important to understand the author and the source here. So the author is who? 
It's Paul. But who's the source? They're all describing this first verse, aren't they? Now concerning virgins, I, Paul, have no command. So this is not a new commandment that's coming to us of the Lord. But given, <clears throat> but I give an opinion as one by the, the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. The Lord Jesus Christ has deemed Paul to be a trustworthy um, orator of the word of God. So he's allowed to write these messages, these letters to God's people and that they might come to a right understanding of what's going on here. What's a little bit difficult for us is Paul wrote in a different language. He wrote in a different time and he wrote in different circumstance. So it's helpful to understand those things when Paul's writing and who he's writing to and what he's writing about. So we understand who's writing it and the source. We also understand the authority. It's not something that the world would have us learn or understand anymore, is it? Source and authority aren't very important. You watch the news. Everything's an unnamed source now. But trust me, I'm on the TV. You can believe me. Because I'm telling it, this news, from the television set. Can't name the source. If you're not naming a source to me, you have no authority. If you have no authority, you're doing little more than spreading rumor. If you're talking about Scripture, if you're talking about God to somebody in their life, speak to them from Scripture. Don't listen to Jim Hyatt. I'm not telling you my opinion. What I'm going to tell you and speak to you about is the Word of God. I do a lot of counseling. I do a lot of marriage counseling. I do a lot of um, premarital counseling. I don't go from the opinion of Jim or the opinion of Kim. I go from the word of the Lord Jesus Christ who has authority in my life and prayerfully in yours or whom I'm counseling. Matter of fact, when you come to get counseling from me, I give you a contract that this is the only counseling that I provide. This is my source and my authority to speak into your life right here. This is where it comes from. Now, Kim and I give um, anecdotes about how when we follow God's word, it works very well. We also give anecdotes, believe it or not, how sometimes it doesn't work so well. Interesting thing. Part of it is why I'm wearing this today. Um, <clears throat> You guys failed to tell me that I've sinned and I gained 52 pounds over the past three years. Thank you very much for not pointing that out. I, I, I did something at work. I went and chased somebody and I fell down and hurt myself. And it dawned on me that I was 52 pounds overweight and maybe the 52 extra pounds that I had chasing somebody had something to do with <clears throat> he got away. <laughs> and I went crashing through that store display. So I came home and I said, that's it. I'm 52 pounds overweight. I'm going to go on a diet. And I, I just started. I didn't mention it. And, but I, I had bought batteries for the, uh, for the scale. And Kim noticed that the scale was out. And she said, hey, what's up with the scale? I said, I bought batteries and I'm using it. Why? Well, I'm on a diet. I'm 52 pounds overweight. 
<clears throat> so Kim immediately went on a diet. My wife, who needed no diet, went on a diet, because I did. And it, it started a little bit of turmoil in our life. She said, don't you think I'm overweight? How many men are married? <laughs> who would answer that question? Leave your hands up. Yes, are you nuts? <laughs> Why would you even ask me that? Because she knows absolutely not. I love you the way you are. Oh, you, so you do think I'm fat. <laughs> there's, there's just no winning. The only positive is to turn around and walk out of the house, into the garage. That's the only positive there. So we started this diet together at any rate. And thankfully for me, it's, I, I wore this today because it's probably the last time I'm ever going to be able to wear it. I still have 25 more pounds to go. Um, I lost 25. <clears throat> I gained a couple, but uh, I lost 25. Um, it's become a competition in my house. How many people think that's a good idea? Men? No raised hands. Very good. It's not. I turned this simple thing of turning my life around into a positive way into a very negative thing. I allowed competition to get into my life with my wife. It's not good. It's created turmoil. It wasn't intentional. I just wanted to go on a diet, but it's created some turmoil in my life because my wife's beating me. <laughs> Any guy here competitive? Smart man, Greg, smart man. You'll see a point to it in a minute, <clears throat> or two or three if I ever get to it. What would happen today, though, if I said, do you close your Bibles? We're not going to go through Scripture. We're going to go through the Word of Jim. Jim Hyatt doesn't have a whole lot of authority. Not without scripture, not here, not concerning the topic that we're discussing, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no authority without scripture. If I speak outside of it, I'm babbling. Amen? You should run and hide. So here in verse 25, it's, we have the subject, which are virgins. And they're going to consider or should consider to remain the way they are. Our source is Paul, and the authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 25, it says, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as to one by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. So when Paul says opinion, it's not like Jim's opinion. The word opinion in Greek is gnome. It does mean opinion. You may have judgment or purpose in your Bible, but the purpose and the meaning here in English is opinion. It's derived from the word gnosko, which is to know absolutely. Paul can know absolutely because this opinion is not a human opinion. It's a spirit-filled, spirit-led knowledge, absolute knowledge of how God would have him speak to the people he's speaking to. Just like I'm speaking to you today, I, I didn't just come up with this. There's a lot of prayer. Ask Pastor David how much time he spends on his face every week praying about the words that he's going to share with you. It's abundantly important that you don't hear from me, that you hear from the Lord. You, you, Jim Hyatt doesn't have a whole lot to say to you. Not that's worthy. God does. So Paul's not giving his worldly opinion here. He's speaking as the appointed one of God to talk in our lives. John Calvin says this about it. 
He says, according to his custom, he declares, he, Paul, Paul declares himself to be indebted to the mercy of God, as it was no common honor, nay, superior to all human merits. Paul's opinion here is not a human opinion. It's superior to human words. This was given to him by God for the people to understand. Hence, it appears that whatever things have been introduced into the church by human authority have nothing in common with this advice that Paul gives us. There's a lot of things introduced into the church by human opinion. A lot of things. Uh, The way that we worship. Today we changed it, didn't we? We added a keyboard. That's a human thing. It's a great thing, but it's not comparison to the opinion that Paul gives to us. This is something that we came up with. We're all supposed to praise and worship God. And this is the method that we do it today. This is how we're getting our hearts and our minds prepared. And I got to say, for me, it worked very well, this addition to our worship team. We've established Paul's authority already, but what authority does Scripture have in our life? You need to know that. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, for righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. All Scripture has authority in our lives. 2 Peter 1.20 says, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no one prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoken from God. These aren't men's words, is what Peter is saying. These are words directly from God God, to his appointed to speak into our lives. Amen? We need to understand that, and we need to communicate that to people who don't believe, who don't really know, who have these conversations with us. Well, why do you spend so much time reading this? Because it's a really good book. That's why I read John Grisham. I read this because it's a really important, extremely authoritative book in my life. Verse 26 says, I think then that it is good in the view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. The distress that Paul was likely speaking of was the Romans and the distress that they were imputing on Christians, and that distress was about to explode in their lives, wasn't it? They were going to start to kill Christians left and right very, very soon in all of their lives. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm just trying to keep you from this distress in your life. But Paul is also saying, are you bound to a wife? In verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. In no way, shape, or form is Paul saying you shouldn't be married. And a lot of people interpret this part of the chapter to mean just that. It doesn't say that at all. That's not at all what he means. Continue to read scripture. Let's see what Paul has to say about marriage. Paul's saying, if you have a wife, keep your wife. Malachi, way back then, said in chapter 2, Take heed then to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. 
for I hate divorce, says the Lord. If you chose and took a wife, if you chose and took a husband, God says, I hate divorce. Stay with her. Stay with him. Deal with it. Then he goes on to say, are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. He's right. I have trouble in my life right now. My wife's beating me in this diet. And I'm a little perplexed about it because I'm competitive. I want to get ahead. I want to beat her. Is that the right mind to have? No. Is it foolish? Yes. Could it prove to be negative in my relationship with my wife? You bet it has. little things. It's little things. And it's kind of funny. We both joke about it, Kim and I, but it's a distraction. Paul isn't saying that marriage is trouble here. That's not the message he's trying to communicate. It can seem like it, I suppose, if you don't know Paul and you don't know scripture. Yet such I will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Erasmus, the Dutch scholar, said, I think it expedient on account of the necessity with which the saints are always harassed in this life that we should all enjoy the liberty and advantage of celibacy, that this would be an advantage to them. There is an advantage to people who remain outside of a relationship with another man or woman, with somebody of the opposite sex who don't get married. There's a lot of advantage to that in serving God and serving the kingdom. They don't have those distractions that we do as people who are married. In life and marriage, you will have troubles. And marriage creates distractions that you can't get away from. From the day that I met Kim and realized that she was going to be my wife, I realized long before she did. But from that day forward... I've always been concerned about my wife. I've always been worried. I've always had to consider how I would provide for her and protect her and know that she was okay and keep all evil things away from her. How many men are married here? Am I wrong? It's always like that. How many of you have children? Am I wrong? You will forever be concerned and distracted by the safety and well-being of your children. I don't know when it ends. My son's 26 years old. He turned 26 yesterday. I am as concerned about him today as I was the day he was born. How many people are Facebook friends with Pastor David? What's he distracted about right now? Emily, his daughter. His daughter is old enough to have raised her hand and said, I swear, when she joined the United States Army. She's gone, poof, out of the house. She's in the Army. National Guard. The Army National Guard. She's her own person. She's her own woman. 
She was old enough to sign that contract that said, I will, I do, and off she goes. Pastor Dave is distracted. He has a distraction in his life. His little girl is growing up. That in and of itself is a distraction. Oh my goodness, she's in basic training. It's a distraction. He's a pastor. He should be considering me full-time, right? Not so. But Paul is saying here that if you remain unmarried, remain unmarried, not get divorced. If you remain unmarried, you don't have that distraction in your life. And there will be troubles associated with that. Trust me, Pastor David is struggling right now with his little girl. Absolutely. Ask Daniel. He'll tell you. (laughs) No, he won't. These distractions, Paul is making clear, are not sinful, but they are real distractions. Especially in today's day and age, the time is drawing near, Paul will tell us. Jesus is coming. It's not a joke. It's not a saying. Jesus is coming. Have we done all we possibly can to prepare those around us for his coming? I know I haven't. I know I need and want to do more. I need to be less distracted. Verse 29, it says this. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. Oh. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as they had none. Paul is very clearly saying here to ignore your wives. Isn't he? No, he's not. Who wrote Ephesians 5? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Always. Always. Paul is not contradicting himself. He's not giving you a new direction. He's not giving you a new commandment. Love and respect. Always. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on the things above and not the things that are on earth. God will provide for us. He knows that we have distractions, but we don't need to be distracted. God's going to protect your daughter. You know that, and I know that. It's still hard. It was all the way on the other side of the country in California. Megan lives down the street from us, comparatively. We worry. We're distracted. Not a sinful distraction. Not a sinful distraction. But we're distracted. In verse 30, it says, And those who weep and those who do not weep, and those who rejoice and those who do not rejoice, and those who buy and those who did did not possess, and those who use the world and those who do not make use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. That's exactly what Paul is saying. The world is passing away. The time of the Lord is drawing near, and we all need to make way for the Lord. We need to do what we can right now. So be a little less distracted in those things that are taking our time away. Let's be a little bit more thoughtful about how we're going to use the gifts that God has given us to serve Him in the way that He needs to be served. How has He directed you? Not the way that Jim Hyatt's telling you, not the way that Pastor David's telling you, but what does God have for you in that direction in life? You know, another reason I wore this today is Calvary Chapel's um, gotten this reputation as we're the shorts and the tennis shoes church. That was Pastor Chuck's way, right? Wrong. 
Pastor Chuck every Sunday wore a suit and a tie. Did you know that? Every Sunday wore a suit and a tie. But we have this reputation for the, uh, the Hawaiian shirt thing. He wore those on retreats. What Pastor Truck, Chuck, Truck, what Pastor Chuck tried to communicate to people was come as you are. Hey, this is who I am. I got a shirt and a tie on. That's who you are. I don't want fake people in the church. I want people just to come just as they are so we can communicate together. And so you can figure out what the Lord has for you in your life, and I can figure out what the Lord has for me in my life. As long as we base it all on Scripture, on His Word, and apply it to our lives. That's what He wanted. So the reputation that we have <clears throat> as the shirt and tie or the, the short and tennis shoes is a little off. Please, if you like shorts and tennis shoes, wear them. If you like to wear a jacket every once in a while, wear it. I've actually worn this jacket twice. I bought it for uh, your son's wedding, <clears throat> and I wore it then. And hopefully this will be the last time I wear it. It's getting a little big, though, isn't it? Kim's beating me, though. <laughs> Just saying. Verse 32. Did somebody say, let it go? <clears throat> Free counseling after service. <laughs> It's the truth, though. It has me distracted in my message to you. Just a little bit. Verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is married is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. Paul's not saying, hey, if you're married, you're in the world. And if you're not married, you're of God. That's not what he said. That's not what he's communicating. Don't let people fool you into that. That's bunk. I did. I read that on the internet. Don't do your biblical study on the internet. But a lot of people think that. Paul is saying that if you're free from other concerns, you're free to serve him just a little bit more. But if you have children... If you have a wife, you will forever be concerned and distracted just a little bit by him. I don't even know if that's the right word. Maybe I could come up with a better word. It's the word that Paul is using here. It's how it's translated, and I'll use it for now. But it's not sinful. Paul makes it abundantly clear. Love your wife. Respect your husband. See how the Lord will use you. You know how Scripture says in Genesis, the two shall become one? The closer you come together as husband and wife, the more you will serve him as husband and wife in one mind. Amen? So do spend a little bit of time understanding each other. Use that distraction for his purpose. You get to that point in your life where you're, not finishing, or where you're finishing each other's sentences and you know what the other person's thinking and you know what that person's gift is. Um, so my master's is in pastoral counseling. When we do marital counseling, my wife sits right beside me. And there are times when I just keep my mouth shut and I look at my wife because I know she has so much more to say about this particular subject. She has so much more spirit to speak into somebody's life in this particular area. I'm learning more and more and more when I keep my mouth shut and letting the Holy Spirit speak. And we do that together. Amen? It's not a negative, it's a positive, amen? 
He said it's not a sin. Verse 35, I say, <clears throat> I say this to you for your own benefit, not to put a, a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted, undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul is reminding us to seek first the kingdom of the Lord and his righteousness in our lives. In verse 36, it says, But any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter. If she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. I'm reading this, and I'm thinking about uh, today's youth. I'm thinking about my daughter, and if I had chosen to let her marry or not, and chosen her husband, how my daughter would react to that. Today's world wouldn't fly, right? We live more in the world. This passage, you have to consider about the time and the place and what was going on there. Uh, Arranged marriages were pretty common. Disgusting, right? Not so much, at least not in my mind. So if I raised my son and my daughter in the Lord and I was wise, I'd have a whole lot to say about who she or my son, for that matter, married. My wife and I, and what what happened back then is, it says the husband, but it was in collusion with the wife, trust me. The husband and the wife would discuss their child and their personalities and their strengths and their weaknesses. And then they would discuss a potential suitor who maybe the daughter was interested in, or maybe they were interested in. And they would discuss the pros and cons about this gentleman towards their daughter. You know what? They both have the same negative. Neither one of them can do math. They can't get married. They never balance a checkbook. It's bad juju. It's not smart, right? Fortunately, my wife can do math. I can't. I still have no idea what the concept of balancing a checkbook is. None, none whatsoever. But fathers and mothers used to consider this about their children and have significant input into their children's marriages. This is who you should marry. They're very adapted to your life. It wasn't just, and you read a lot about it, and it did happen in the secular world where they would sell their daughters off for profitability, for family uh, gain. But that's not what always happened, especially in the uh, Christian world. They considered about the child that they, rose, they, uh, they raised. Fathers in collusion with their wives. Um, Proverbs 20, 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's our responsibility to train and teach our children. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up at the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We too should speak into our children's lives about whether they should marry or not. It's not an absolute, but maybe the Lord's brought that to your attention about your child, and maybe you should at least speak to your child about that. Your child may be directed in another way by the Lord, and that's fine if that happens. But as they grow, we have responsibility to speak into their lives. Amen? Consider it. Verse 39 says, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. I hate that word. My wife is bound. She's mine. 
A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. As the Lord leads you. If your husband or wife passes on, you are free to be remarried if you wish or to stay celibate and remain a servant in the Lord in that way. Paul is saying you can do it both ways, but again, that marriage, that next marriage will also come with those distractions, won't it? The worship team can come up. In verse 40, it says, but in my opinion, this is the second time he comes up with it. The third time is further down the road. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the spirit of God. I think there's a little sarcasm there with Paul. And I think that I also have the spirit of God. Paul clearly has the spirit of God in him. They've asked the question, the Corinthians have asked them this question, should we be more like you or should we stay married or what should we do? Because we see that you're traveling all over the world, the known world, by yourself, unmarried, and you're getting a whole lot accomplished. Should we be just like that? And Paul's saying, no, be as the Lord leaves you. Are you married? Stay married. Honor your wife. Honor your husband. Let the two become one and serve the Lord that way. If you're single and the Lord calls you to be single, you don't struggle with lust and the desires of a spouse, then stay that way and serve the Lord that way. But don't let singleness become a distraction to you either. That's what he's saying. The bottom line and how we could apply this to our lives is to have a very good knowledge of who the Lord is and what he would want from your life and what he wants from our life. Learn about what the gifts that God has given me or you and how do I apply them. So in considering whether you're going to be single or whether you're going to stay married, well, hopefully you'll stay married, <laughs> whether you'll stay single or whether you are married, how do I take those gifts that I have? How do I take the distractions that are a part of that life? And how do I serve the Lord more abundantly in that way? We all have distractions in our lives. Amen? Most of those distractions can be avoided. Some of them can't. The Lord blessed me with a wife. The Lord blessed me with children. Those concerns and those distractions will never go away and they're not sinful. But how do I serve him with those things? Amen? The other stuff can fade away. So let's pray. And as you go through your week, figure out how the Lord might use you and the gifts that you have. Amen? Father, we're thankful for all of the blessings that you've given us in our lives. And we're thankful for um, the godly distractions that we do have. Father, we pray that you might teach us today and tomorrow how to use those more appropriately for you and your kingdom. Father, don't let us be distracted with um, the silly things in the world and what I have and what I don't have. While I eat today or tomorrow, we know that those things you'll provide for us and you always have and you always will. Father, show each of us what our gifts are, how we can hone them, 
and we can minister to you and to your people with it. And Father, how we can grow your kingdom. Prayerfully, Father, you might uh, bring to each one of us today or this week somebody who doesn't yet know you as Lord and Savior. And they'll be cognizant of my gifts and how to minister to that person and maybe speak into their lives. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.